what does God want from me and what does God want me to do while I'm on earth? Those are questions that we might have and that we may have struggled with before or maybe just wondered to ourselves and we are not the first people to struggle with that question. Micah's name means who is like God and he spends his ministry trying to show Israel just who God is. The first verse in the book of Micah says that Micah was a prophet both to the northern kingdom of Samaria and the southern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century B.C. during the reigns of kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Micah preached to God's people. He was bold and fearless and calling them back to God as they had strayed from God and gone in the direction that God desired them not to go. Micah 1 verses 2 down through verse 16, he highlights their sin and the doom and the judgment that's coming because they have violated their covenant with God. In chapter 2 and verse 1, all the way through chapter 3 and verse 12, he tells them that it's their rulers and even the false prophets that has led to their oppression. And what God's going to bring on them is exactly what they deserve. In chapter 4 and chapter 5, Micah says there's a great day coming when things will change and days will be brighter for God's people. But that's a long way off from now where they stand. And then in chapter 6 and chapter 7, there's the controversy and finally God's faithfulness and constant Love toward the people, even though they've been fickle and faithless toward him. But right at the heart of Micah chapter six is what's been called the controversy that God has with his people. Is that read for us a moment ago? Micah chapter six, God takes his people to court. And when God takes you to court, everybody who God summons to court is present and accounted for. You don't get an option on whether or not you want to come or not. God says show up and that's exactly what you do. Notice the text in Micah 6 and verses 1 and 2. God calls the mountains, the heavens and the earth to witness and to testify against his people as he often does. He does this in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2 and in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 1. He says he's going to argue his case against his people and then in verse 3 he says can you point out where I've mistreated you? Or where I haven't been all that I should be. I've treated you well. He rehearses their history and how he led them out of Egypt in verse 4 and verse 5. And God says, I want answers for why you haven't given me back the same faithful care that I've given you. And it's in the people's response. In verse 6 down through verse 8, you can really hear them saying two things to God. Either, number one, God, you hadn't made clear to us what you wanted from us, and that's why we don't know. Or, number two, we have done what you said. But it just hasn't been enough. And so we're back where we started. What does God want from me? What does God want for me to do? In Micah chapter six, verses six through eight, we find four easy questions, four easy answers, really simple that Micah puts forth in this passage to what God wants from everybody in the world. Micah's contemporaries didn't receive it, but we can tonight and be better for having done so, because everybody in the world should be asking this question And listening to God for the answers. Would you notice in verse six down through verse eight what God wants from humanity? Here's number one. God wants us to ask the age old question. The prophet has the people saying in verse six, with what shall I come before the Lord? And with what shall I bow down before the God most high? Shall I come before the Lord with burnt offerings or with calves a year old? First thing to appreciate is that they pose this question to God. And that is, God, exactly what is it that you want from me? This question implies several things. It implies in the first place that God wants something to do with us and God wants something from us. Psalm 144 and verse three, David says, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you even care about him? It also implies that there's a right way and a wrong way to come before the Lord. In verse six, the people are saying, how do I do this and what should I bring with me? 
You remember when Uzzah touched the the Ark of the Covenant when the oxen stumbled and he was killed on the spot immediately. Well, when David rehearses that in First Chronicles 15 and verse 13, he says this happened to Uzzah because we didn't seek God according to the due order or in the right way. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it. But this also flies in the face of deism that says God wound up the world, let it loose and not engage whatsoever. No, God is engaged. God does care and God does want something to do with us. The question is, what what does he want? People have all kind of questions. There's a website called truthstory.com, and what they do, among other things, is they catalog every year the top 100 questions that have been posed to Google on a sort of monthly basis. And so from 2021 to 2020, all the way back to 2018, they've got the questions, the top 100 religious questions that are entered into Google. And the questions that have been searched on Google one million times each month are questions like these. Who is God? Who is Jesus Christ? What is the Salvation Army? And what is my life all about? There's nothing wrong with any of those questions. But you know what's impressive? When you get on truthstory.com and you start running through the list that they put out each and every year of the top 100 religious questions that are posed to Google each month, not once in all of the years that they've been running this research is the question from Micah 6 and verse 6 in that category. Nobody poses at least as much as they do these other questions. What is it that God wants from me? There are other questions further down on the list, like what does God look like? And what is the serenity prayer? And can we find Noah's Ark? But people aren't saying, what does God want from me? This question is the logical step after we've asked the first two most important questions that anybody could. Number one, does God exist? Number two, if God exists, who is he and what is he like? And then the next question that we should pose after that is this. If God exists and I know who he is and what he's like, what does God want from me? And while some people spend their entire lives avoiding this question, it's a question that people have asked throughout Scripture. When John came preaching in the wilderness in Luke chapter three and verse 10, the people said, what do you want us to do? The rich young ruler came to Jesus in Matthew 19 and verse 16 and said, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? And the lawyer in Luke 10 and verse 25, he had the same question. The people on Pentecost couldn't help themselves. Acts two and verse 37, men and brothers, what shall we do? And when Saul saw Jesus in heaven in his exalted state, Acts nine and verse six, he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Even the correctional officer in Philippi said to Paul and Silas, sirs, what must I do in order to be saved? It's this question. God, what do you want with me? It's not new. It's the age old question that everyone should be asking. Now, if you look at the text, you know, Micah and his contemporaries or at least Micah's contemporaries, they're not all that they should be. But let's give credit where credit is due. At least they knew who they were dealing with. Notice in verse six, they call him God and they call him the Lord most high. In their view, God is exalted and they want to know what do we need to return back to God? And they honor him that way. Here's the question for you and for me. When's the last time you asked God that question? Not God, what are you going to do for me? Not God, can I have this or have that? No, I mean, when's the last time we've said to God, God, would you mind making it clear to me what you want me to do? Paul said that we should in Ephesians 5 and verse 10. He said part of being a Christian and walking in the light means discerning the will of the Lord. That is trying to reason through what would please God. 
Or Ephesians 5 and verse 17, don't be foolish, but be wise, understanding what the will of the Lord is. It's to say to God, God, I want you to show me the way that I should go. Psalm 143 and verse 8, so that I could be pleasing to you. What does God want from me? The overall question to this sermon begins with this question first. The first thing that God wants for everybody in the world to do is to ask this question. Start here. God, what do you want? This says that God wants to be sought. God wants us to pursue him. You remember what Jesus said? Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open. That's what God wants from us. Now, a lot of people that pose this question, including the people that posed it in Micah chapter six, they weren't sincere. But we can be. We can be people like Samuel in first Samuel three and verse 10. God called out Samuel, Samuel. And finally, he says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. A heart that hungers and thirsts after righteousness, Matthew 5 and verse 6. And when we do, God has promised to honor that request. What does God want from me? In the first place, God says, I want you to come to me and ask for direction. But with a sincere heart that says, when it's received, I'll do whatever you say. Here's number two. What does God want from me? God wants me to avoid approaching him incorrectly. These people, they have a question and then they offer up some answers. Notice in verse six and verse seven, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? And then they list things that the average Israelite in the Old Testament would list. These things in verse six and verse seven mentioned by the Israelites are things that Jews would probably offer up and worship to God. And then towards the end, they get even a little bit sarcastic toward God about what exactly do you want from me? First, they say, God, do you want burnt offerings? You know, God commanded burnt offerings. Leviticus chapter one, verses one through 17. God, do you want calves a year old? Leviticus nine and verse three. God says you can offer me calves and worship. In verse seven, do you want what does God want? How do we make you happy? Do you want a thousand rams offered up like Solomon did in first Kings chapter three and verse four when he was king? Or what about ten thousand rivers of oil? And they even get down to child sacrifice in verse seven. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my souls? You could see them sort of rolling their eyes sarcastically and saying to God, we've given you everything that you want. What else can we do to please you? Secondly, tonight, what does God want from me? He wants me to avoid approaching him incorrectly. Be honest. Have you ever said this? Maybe not vocally, but sort of inwardly about God and approaching him in worship. You think about sermons you've heard or maybe you're reading through the Bible and you may think to yourself, another thing, another list. I thought I was already giving God everything that he wanted. And this is what these individuals think. And as we think about our response to this question, we need to avoid the serious mistakes that they made. And they made several. Number one, they believed because they were doing certain things that God was in their debt or owed them a favor because they were going through the motions in worship. That was a mistake. Secondly, they believed that God could not be pleased. You know what? It doesn't matter what we do. Hey, it doesn't matter how much of it we do. You just can't make God happy. And then thirdly, mistakenly, they thought to themselves, so long as we go through the motions and give God what he wants, doesn't matter how we live our lives throughout the week. God, we've given you worship. And so they say to Micah, the prophet, God takes them to court in verses one through five. Their response to God, God, we've given sacrifices. We've given offerings. We'll give more if that'll make you happy. But God has news for them. God commanded the sacrifices. God commanded the worship but never apart from a reformed life. 
I want you to write down these verses. We don't have time to go through all of them tonight, but I'm going to try to give these as slowly as I can give them. I want you to go home and read these verses and study these because throughout the Bible, especially, and we're just going to spend most of our time with these verses in the Old Testament. God has told people, I don't want anything to do with you until you get your act together. Isaiah chapter one, verses 10 through 17. In Isaiah chapter 1, 10 through 17, God tells the people, do not bring me any more worship until you can fix your life and get your act together. I don't care how many sacrifices you offer me. I want nothing to do with it until you decide to change and amend your ways. Isaiah 58, verses 3 through 12. God says, no more fasting. As long as you're inwardly fighting with one another and mistreating each other, don't fast. You might as well eat and take a feast because he says, the fast that I really want from you is a broken and contrite spirit and love for your fellow man. In Amos chapter 5, 21 through 24, God just says, stop singing me songs, please. And don't offer me anything else in worship until you can let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. In the days of Jeremiah, he says, you think that I'm on your side and that you have my favor because you're in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Jeremiah 7, 3 and 4, God says, you think you can say to yourself, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. As if as long as they were on spiritual base, God couldn't charge them with unrighteousness. And God says, I'll destroy this temple just like I did at Shiloh. He told him in the days of Hosea in Hosea 6, verse 6 and in verse 7. You'll be destroyed, not merely because of your lack of knowledge, but you've got no loving kindness and you don't have knowledge of who I am. When they came back from Babylonian captivity in Zechariah 7, 3 through 7 and Malachi 1, 7 and 8, God told them essentially no more IRS worship, irreverent, raggedy and stale worship. I don't want it. Don't offer it up to me. I won't accept it. He says, offer it to your governor, what you're giving me. And will I be pleased with it? In summary, what does God want from me? God's saying, be careful how you approach me. Don't ever think that God has to accept anything from me because he doesn't. God doesn't need anything from me because he's not a needy God. God will accept worship. God commands worship, but only from a heart that's been reformed by those things. Everything we do for God, the spiritual disciplines we engage in, everything we offer up to him is in view of who he is, but hopefully because we're being changed by the things we're doing. And we might hear this and say to ourselves, oh, I know some people that need to hear this. Amen. But I can't think of an assembly that needs to hear it more, especially than faithful Christians who've assembled on a Sunday night. Because God's saying, listen, you can be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And that's exactly what I want you to be doing. But that's not the end. That's simply the beginning. And I want your life changed so that you can approach me properly and do things in the way that I would have you to do them. The term quiet quitting, it went viral in July of 2022 when a young engineer, he made a short TikTok video about how he was changing the way that he worked. You may not know this term, but maybe you've practiced this before. You surely have seen it in work before. Quiet quitting is when somebody says on the job that they work, I'm not quitting this job. In fact, I don't intend to leave, at least not yet. But what I've decided to do is I'm just going to scale back a little bit. I'm not going to stop working at this company, but no more overtime. No more going beyond and above, over and beyond. I'm just going to do the bare minimum just to sort of get by. Nobody will know it. 
But if you've ever been a supervisor, if you've ever been a boss, even if you've ever been an employee, you realize over time, you know, something's not right with her. Something's not right with him. This person's not giving all that they used to give. And though individuals that engage in quiet quitting think that they sort of fooled other people, their lethargic spirit, their laziness, it can't be missed. It's so pronounced. Everybody can see it. We can see it. And if we can see it in earthly affairs, don't you know God sees it from the heavenly vantage point? When we say, you know what, I'm not going to quit Christianity, but I'm just going to scale back. I used to be a lot more involved, but you know what, I'm not going to do as much as I used to do because you just can't please God. God sees it. He takes inventory of it and he wants us to give him what he's due. What does God want from me? God wants me to be sure that I don't approach him improperly, because if I do, I'll be frustrated. I'll be disappointed. But ultimately, I'll be cast aside. These people, they because they continue to bring God sacrifices that he's desperate in Psalm 50, verses 7 through 11, God says, what do you think? Do you think that I eat the bulls and the sacrifices you bring for lunch? If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Every beast of the forest is mine. The sacrifices aren't for me. They're for you so that you might learn how to approach me and worship me and learn what I'm really all about. And what God's saying to us is, yes, I want you present in worship. Of course, he's commanded it. Yes, I want you to study the Bible. Of course, that's what God wants, just like he commanded Israel to do all of these things. But God does not want anything from us if he doesn't get us in the process. If God doesn't get us as we offer him up the things that we do, God says you can keep it. In Mark chapter 12, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest command in the law? After he gives his response, the lawyer that came to him said, yes, Jesus, that's right. And to love him with all of the heart, with the mind and with the strength is more than all of the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And you know what? He was right. And all that we do for God, God wants us to approach him properly with the right motives that we're changed based on what we've done and that we really live out our faith. You know, if our voices are melodious in worship and we sing really well, but our lives don't reflect what we sing, God says, essentially, you can keep it. If we're as evangelistic as the Apostle Paul, but all of our invitations toward outsiders are soiled because they know the real us, God's saying, you can't fool me. If you say I can live however I want throughout the week, and I know God's going to give me some grace because I'm here three times a week at 1002 Lehman. I know perfect attendance has to be good for something. God says, you're mistaken and you don't know me. I can be pleased, but I can't be fooled. What does God want from me? God says, avoid approaching me incorrectly. Come with the right heart, with the right motivation, and then I'll receive you. I'll be pleased with you. But not until you do that. Here's number three. God wants to, us to acknowledge what's already been revealed. After the people offer up their excuses and their responses, notice what Micah begins to say in Micah 6 and verse 8. He says he has shown you some translations say he's told you, old man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Number three, what does God want? God wants me first to ask the question, God, what do I need to do to please you? And then secondly, God says, don't approach me incorrectly. Don't approach me through just I'm going to do whatever you say just to make you happy, because, hey, if I go through the motions, that'll make you pleased. And then in the third place, acknowledge what has already been revealed. Notice what Micah says in verse eight. He has shown you, old man, that is, he's already made it clear. Question, when did God make it clear to Old Testament Israel what he wanted from them? Micah's just saying to these people, go back and study the Bible. Hold your hand in Micah chapter six and go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and notice verse 12 and verse 13. What Micah says is God has already told you everything he wants you to do. And if you just acknowledge what's already been revealed, 
you won't be appalled. In the law, Moses says in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12, it sounds just like Micah 6 and verse 8. And that's because this is where Micah seems to be quoting from Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. He says, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord, your God, to serve him, to walk before him and to do it with all of your heart and with all of your soul, to keep the statutes and the commandments which the Lord, your God, commands you this day for your good. In verse 13, don't you see when Micah says, show me, they say, tell us what to do. Micah says he already has. He's shown you, old man, shown us how. Stay in Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this is at the end of Moses's life, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And he's sort of getting the people ready to go where he can't go. Moses will not go to the promised land, but he wants the people to be prepared as they enter in. And so in Deuteronomy 30 in verse 11, listen to what Moses says about the word of God, about the Bible, the Old Testament, which, by the way, we sometimes say is the hardest part of the Bible to understand. Moses says in Deuteronomy 11, the word which I command you this day is not difficult. Neither is it afar off. It's not in heaven that you should say who shall ascend to heaven for us and go and get it and bring it to us that we might hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you might say who will go over the sea for us and get it and bring it to us that we might hear it and do it. And here it is in verse 14. But the word is near to you and in your heart. What does God want from me? Wait a minute. Micah says, what does God want from you? He's shown you, oh man, he's already revealed it to you. It's in the law, it's in your Bible. Now, if he was talking to Christians today, Micah would say, he's shown you in the New Testament. All scripture is God breathed and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness that in so doing, Peter says, we might become partakers of the divine nature. When we partake of what he offers us, he says, I'll share some of you with me or share some of me with you in the process. He's already revealed it. This is why Bible study is important. For somebody who hasn't done this, you say, well, this hasn't been my habit to engage in Bible study. Make this the year. And not just to read the Bible and do a few spiritual exercises, but to read with this question in view. I want to read the Bible and figure out what does God want me to do? And for those that have this down pat that say, you know what? My Bible reading regimen is pretty, pretty tight. I read the Bible every day. I've got this down. Make sure that we don't skip anything. Because you see, the people in Micah's day, they said, we know what the Bible says. And they missed some of the most important parts. But we need to read with an ear toward obedience to say, God, I want to obey you. And when we do that, God's going to say, well, just go back and read what I already gave you. Maybe you heard the illustration about the young boy who went off to college. And in short order, he ran out of money and resources and he wrote back home and he said, Mom, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. And I I need money. And his mom wrote back and said, read the Bible. That's what she said all the time. Every time he wrote her and said he was hungry, she'd respond, well, go ahead and read the Bible. He got frustrated and he would write back. I'm too busy to do that right now. I can't get around to it. I'm hungry. She would say, read your Bible. He thought his mom was over spiritualizing his problems. Listen, he didn't need a book. He needed a buck. He was hungry. The Bible wasn't going to put food on the table or deodorant under his arms. He would write or call home and say, Mom, I'm hungry. Dad, I need gas. And they would tell him simply to read the Bible. And one day in frustration, he called back. Mom, I'm hungry. She said, son, read your Bible and then call me back. And he said, finally, he would. He opened his Bible and a hundred dollar bill fell out. Listen, I'm not telling you if you open your Bible and a hundred dollar bill is going to fall out. And if it does, it's mine. (laughs) But something better will. The will of God will fall out right into our hearts if we just open it up and read. Somebody says, what if I don't read the Bible? You'll shout out the clouds. God, show me who you are. What do you want from me? God, make it clear. I thought I was pleasing you. How do I know I'm getting this right? And like the college parent says to her child, God says to everybody in the world, 
Read the Bible. What does God want me to do with my little life in this time period where I live? Read the Bible. Because God's going to tell us what he wants. Psalm 119 and verse 133. Order my steps in your word. It's already in the Bible. Just open it up and just read it. Micah says he's shown you, old man. And then notice the rest of that in verse eight. What is good? What God has revealed is ultimately for our good and for our benefit. If we read it, we'll be impressed with the goodness of God and what he gives to us. And hopefully our lives will be transformed in the process. God wants us to read his word, to know him and to appreciate that he's already revealed so much to us. People want God to do something extra, to do something outside of this. And God says, if you won't obey what I've already revealed to you, you really don't want to know the answer to this question. How do we know how to please God if we acknowledge what's already been revealed? Now, here's the fourth and final one tonight. What does God want from me? He wants me to apply the threefold statement that Micah gives. Micah 6 and verse 8 is the most famous verse in this book and for good reason. Micah says he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of you. And then Micah mentions three things to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This summary statement is the Old Testament version of what Jesus said when people said to him, what's the greatest command in the law? Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was quoting the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. This is Micah's summary statement where he says, here's what God wants you to do. He mentions three things in summary. And he says, if you do these things, you'll be pleasing to God. What does God want for me to do? obey this threefold statement in Micah. Here it is in a nutshell, in summary fashion to say, if you want to please God, here's what it's going to take. Do justice. Old Testament Israel was told in Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20, I want you to treat people right. No prejudice, no partiality and judging. And the people that rule in your justice system, they're not allowed to take bribes. They're not allowed to mistreat other people. And everybody in the whole land of Israel, you make sure that you act justly. You see, these people had broken up their lives into different compartments. They went to the temple and they offered up God what he wanted there. And then Micah says in other places in Micah 2 verses 1 through 3, they cheated people in business. They oppressed the poor. They practiced idolatry. And when God called them on it, they said, what's your problem? We already gave you what you want. On it. He says, do justice. Micah says, love mercy. That's the second thing that involves treating people like God has treated you. And Micah seven and verse 18, near the end of the book, Micah says, God delights in this mercy or in this steadfast love. And the people are supposed to give back what they've received. And then lastly, walk humbly with your God. Proverbs 11 and verse two, Solomon says, With pride comes disgrace, but with the humble, there's wisdom. Walk humbly with your God. That's what God wanted Israel to do. Now, Micah 6 and verse 8 does not mean you take Micah 6 and verse 8 and you cut out the rest. This is all you need in the Bible. But this statement and others like it, these summary statements, and you could do a study of the Bible of these. you got Matthew 22, 37 through 40, 2 Timothy 1, 5, where Paul says the aim of our charge is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Romans 13, 8, Paul says... There's nothing greater in the law except to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. All of these summary statements is not God's way of saying this is all that matters and nothing else does. It's God's way of saying everything else that matters is filtered through these main ideas. If you get this right, if you get Micah six and verse eight right, you'll get the rest of the Bible right. That's a guarantee. If you love God, if you love mercy, if you walk humbly with him, Micah saying this is all God really wants from you. And you'll get the other 613 commands of the old law right on the bullseye. 
Micah says, obey the threefold statement. Now, what does this mean for Christians? Do justice. It means do the right thing. It means treat people the way that God says they ought to be treated, whether they deserve it or not. Paul says, be lovers of good works, maintain good works. Titus 3 and verse 8, Titus 3 and verse 14. No partiality allowed. James 2, 1 through 13. Seeing people as they really are and treating them as image bearers of almighty God. That's what it means for Christians today to do justice. We might be tempted to shy away from this one. We might say to ourselves, our world's broken. And it's our goal to get people ready to leave this world and go to glory. And that's right. This is not the social gospel which says physical needs above spiritual needs. No, it's to say spirituality is the goal. Spiritual needs are a must. But we don't have God's permission to overlook physical needs that are often right in front of us, which can, if done right, serve as a gateway toward the spiritual. Do justice. Do what's right. When you see people mistreated and abused, Christians should be the first ones in line speaking up because God commands it. Do justice. Nobody in the world should shout justice louder than Christians. There's no movement to the right or to the left that can hijack that claim or hijack that cause. It belongs to God's people, or at least it should. Do justice and love mercy. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what what good have you done? He says, pray for those that persecute you and do good to those that despitefully use you. You know how you've been treated. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. Be perfect, just like your father in heaven. And then walk humbly with your God to realize that all that we have from God, we received undeservingly and to walk humbly with him. This doesn't mean that there never comes a time when we have to practice tough love toward people, when we have to say enough is enough. And because people won't walk in line with the will of God, you can't appeal to Micah six and verse eight and say, well, you've got to endorse everything that everybody does. It doesn't mean that at all. It means when that time comes, we do it just like God would do to us. But just like God has his eye on the front door waiting for people to come home, we do the very same thing. Aren't you glad Micah 6 and verse 8 says, walk humbly with your God? We couldn't run with him. He'd leave us in the divine dust. But Micah says you can't walk with him. When the Bible says walk with God, somebody walked with God, it's another way of saying they took up their journey. And from day to day, they lived in harmony with the will of God. Enoch walked with God and he was not. Genesis 5 and verse 24. Noah was a good and upright man, perfect and blameless in his generation. And he walked with God. Genesis six and verse nine. When Abraham was ninety nine years old, God said, I'm the Lord, your God. Walk before me and be blameless. Genesis 17 and verse one. When Micah says, walk humbly with your God, he's saying, engage in your relationship with God on a daily basis. Just make it your regular practice. Ephesians five and verse two. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Daniel Lieberman is a professor at Harvard, and he wrote recently about his frustration with trying to get people to exercise regularly, to get out of their comfort zone and at least do 30 minutes of exercise a day. He's not the first person to suggest this. And in all of his research, he says, if you really want to get in an exercise regimen, if you want to be consistent, if you want to stick with it, it boils down to one thing. Lieberman says it boils down to the buddy system. He says, if you can get somebody else to work out with you, some people are disciplined enough to do it on their own. But he says, if you can get somebody to work alongside you, you've got a better chance of sticking with it. If you know somebody's waiting on you, somebody's expecting you, somebody else is invested just like you. He says, you've got a better chance of going the distance. They'll push you beyond your comfort zone. They'll challenge you to do things you wouldn't have done solo. And so he says, you need a buddy. You need somebody to work out alongside you to exercise. Micah says you need spiritual exercise. 
God says, I'm not going to jump in your skin and do it for you, but I'll do it with you. You can walk humbly with your God, not because he's out of shape, but because we are. And so first John one and verse seven, walk in the light just like he's in the light and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son will cleanse you from all sins. If you let him, God says we can do this together. I'll be your spiritual buddy. I'll work out alongside you and you won't have to do it alone. What does God want from me? God says, can we walk together from earth all the way toward heaven? God doesn't command anything from us that he doesn't aid us in doing. Help us to do for our good and his glory. The people in Micah's day were supposed to be a light to the nations. Isaiah 42 and verse six, Isaiah 49 and verse six. God says, I've called you to be a light to the nations. Jesus picks up on this in Matthew 5, 16 and not just to the Gentile nations. He says, let your light shine before men. We're the light of the world that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. The people in Micah's generation, the reality is they failed and they would go into captivity as a result. But Micah. He saw something greater coming in Micah chapter five and verse two. He says there's going to be somebody to come who is from everlasting and he'll be born in Bethlehem and God will get it done through him. In Micah chapter four, verses one through five, he says, old Israel didn't get it right. God's going to build a new house and everybody in the world. He was talking in Micah four, one through five about the church of Jesus Christ and everybody in the world is going to press into that house. And then God will finally be able to get what he wants from us. You know, God can demand anything of us because he's given everything to us. There's nothing he can say to us that we can say, well, you, you want too much. Your standards are too high. He's the high and holy one who's condescended to men of low estate so that he might rescue and save us. What does God want from me? God wants you and God wants me. He wants us to first pose the question to him in sincerity and say, God, what is it that you want? Don't just give whatever you think he wants. Say, God, what do you want? He wants us to avoid approaching him improperly. That is just checking the boxes and saying God's desperate or God's blind. He has to take it. He wants us to acknowledge what's already been revealed. Study our Bibles and see what has he already said. And then he wants us to take on these threefold statements like Micah six and verse eight. Do justly love mercy and walk humbly with God and people that have never known him through the text might know him through his people. And when we do that, we've glorified him and fulfilled our purpose on earth. You know, Neil preached this morning about engaging everyone for eternity. And when you start to read the Bible through that lens, it's everywhere. God's saying, what I want is to engage with you. I want you to be my people and to serve me. And he invites everybody to do that. Everybody, everybody, including you and me. Maybe tonight you need to respond to heaven's invitation. Jeremy's going to lead us in a song to encourage us, whether it's to become a Christian and obey the gospel for the first time or whether you've obeyed it in the past. We're to live the rest of our lives obeying the gospel that we initially obey in baptism. If we can pray with you or pray for you, we'd be happy to serve you or help in any way. If we can do anything for you, come now as together we stand and as we sing.